welcome back to this new episode of the shabda podcast in the last episode we talked about or discussed the nature of god or what do we mean by god and in that process uh, several important questions were left unanswered the first important question was uh, that we spoke about individuality in this world for example we said that there is an idea of a chair and there are many individual chairs and uh, we said that the idea of the chair is transcendent and the individual chairs in this world also have the idea of the chair immanent in them but we did not speak about is the idea uh, or the transcendent ideas is that you know a single individual are there many copies of you know such ideas and uh, how that single idea incarnates or manifests or advents into many chairs in this world i did directly indirectly indicate uh, about the use of modalities which i called universal and individual so i'll let's begin by talking about this individuality and the reason this is important is uh, because in platonic philosophy the transcendent world is simply ideas they are not uh, persons but uh, in vedic philosophy the transcendent world is also personal so there are they are individuals and they are persons but there is an important difference between individuality and personality and that difference is that individuality is simply quantitative whereas personality is also qualitative for example you can have 10 chairs which have the exact same design color shape size etc and uh, they will all look identical so if you count them you can rearrange those chairs in any order any chair can be the first chair and uh, you can say there are 10 chairs but they are exactly looking you know all alike and therefore they are identical so this notion of individuality is uh, similarly uh, simply quantitative individuality because you count them as 10 different things but when we speak about persons then apart from this quantitative individuality there is also a qualitative difference between all the individuals for example you can talk and i can talk you can walk and i can walk and uh, therefore talking and walking uh, are universals they are manifest in you they are manifest in me but every time you talk there'll be it'll be different from the way i talk every time you walk everybody's walk is going to be slightly different from everybody else's walk 
So even though there are universals, but these universals are uniquely manifest in each uh, person. No two trees in this world are completely alike. No two dogs are completely alike. Uh, but when we create inanimate things like chairs and tables, they seem to be alike or they can be alike. And that alikeness is because a single creator, a designer has produced these things and uh, once they were designed, they're simply replicated. In short, you do not create each chair individually and that's something that industrialization and industrial production does. But if you were hand making all these chairs or tables, there will always be some difference between each chair. And uh, an artist, for example, makes many paintings, but uh, and, and they might have a common theme, a subject and style and so on, but each painting is different. Even if the artist painted the same painting twice, uh, that painting will look little different from what it was done before. So the individuality is different from personality because individuality simply means there are many things uh, quantitatively, you can count them as one, two, three, four, etc. Uh, but they all look alike. And personality is when they are different things, but they're also different types of things. At least there is some difference between uh, you know, qualitative difference between them. So the generic idea about uh, uh, these universals has to be updated in the sense that we have to say that there is a universal, but that universal is also an individual. And the, uh, and the things that are manifest in this world they also have parts of the universal uh, and uh, they are also individuals. So this means that we have to speak about two different modes of uh, you know, describing things, a universal mode of things and an individual mode of things. For example, the word barber can be used to represent uh, a class of people or a general universal meaning about what a person does. And the word barber can also be used to indicate an individual. So sometimes when we use the word barber, we actually mean the universal concept. And sometimes when we use the word barber, we mean the individual. And the same word in this case barber or it could be a chair or a table and things like that uh, they can be used in both these ways now along with these two modalities there is also a third modality which uh, I will call contextual modality and to illustrate what I mean by this contextual modality is uh, uh, think of the idea or the universal idea of a circle. 
you know you can say it's a perfect round and there are many individual circles uh, you know in this world circular things and uh, we can say that they are instances of this idea of circle but there are also things that are imperfectly circular may not perfectly round they may be you know slightly oval or you know circumference might vary you know the, the, i mean the diameter or the radius might vary in in in, in the different directions and uh, in that case also we mostly or often use the word circle so we use the word circle to denote a perfect universal idea we use the word circle to denote individual instances of that idea and sometimes we also use the word to denote imperfect circles so this is one type of uh, contextuality there are other types of contextuality in which uh, and, and this is something we discussed in the last podcast where we said that uh, things are defined through a distinction. Uh, we talk about hot and cold, hot versus cold, black versus white. And uh, these, these, these things are defined through a mutual distinction or contrast to each other. And if you remove the other things, then uh, those things cease to be you know, applied the same name. For example, when you use the word circle and it's an imperfect circle, quite often you're contrasting it to something that is more squarish or something that seems more triangular. So in the contrast uh, to uh, something that is more squarish, you might say this is a circle because that one, the other one is, you know, is called a square. Similarly, you might say, this imperfect circle is a circle because something that's more triangular is called a triangle, even though it's not a perfect triangle. So there are many ways in which words are defined or given meaning or words are employed, uh, you know, sometimes as universals indicating it's a perfect idea, we're talking about the idea, then sometimes a perfect instance of the idea and sometimes simply to indicate the contrast with something else. Uh, you know, a cow may be defined as an instance of a perfect cow, but then you might also, you know, say that a cow is something that moves a little slowly and has got uh, horns. And in, in that sense, you can contrast that cow to a tiger, which moves very fast and doesn't have horns. Or you can contrast to a horse which doesn't have horns but moves fast. So the meaning of a cow is an instance of the cow, individual cow, it has a contrast to the cow and it has an individuality. So cow actually gets uh, meanings in these three ways, a universal mode, an individual mode, and a contextual mode. These three modes of describing anything, they apply to God as well. 
therefore god is the universal idea of knowledge but god is also an individual so there is a universal modality in which we describe god and there is a individual modality in which we describe god and then there is a third modality which is contextual modality and in this modality you describe god as uh, uh, you know the producer or the creator creator is is a wrong word we'll see shortly a producer uh, of uh, various types of you know parts in this case if knowledge is the original idea then parts of knowledge are subjects like physics economics sociology psychology mathematics and so on so what is the relation between physics and knowledge which means knowledge is you know everything that's to be known but physics is a part of things that which are to be known similarly psychology is a part of things to be known sociology or economics are a part of what is to be known so each of these subjects physics psychology sociology they are instances of knowledge and therefore knowledge is immanent in them and uh, they are also called knowledge not just because knowledge is immanent in them but because they have a certain relationship to knowledge itself and uh, what i mean by that is if if knowledge was a picture for example then physics is a part of that picture if knowledge was a puzzle to be solved then physics is a part of that puzzle so where does physics sit in the scheme or overall scheme of knowledge uh, is the relation between knowledge and physics so so that's the uh, contextual modality or or the, you know i sometimes we, we can also use the word relational modality contextual is is slightly better word to use that but i might use them these words interchangeably so in vedic philosophy these three modalities of existence are called sat chit and anand the when i speak about when we speak about uh, god as originally being uh, knowledge we are speaking about the chit modality and uh, when we speak about so this is a universalist idea or universal idea of you know absolute truth uh, as as the as the source of all other subsidiary you know departments of knowledge you can say but this is not simply an idea this is also an individual and that individual is called a person therefore when we speak about god as knowledge it slightly seems impersonal although uh, uh, impersonal would be a wrong word because impersonalism essentially means devoid also devoid of all qualities in this case at least we have said that there is one quality which is knowledge so uh, god isn't devoid but at the same time because you know knowledge is simply an idea uh you might be led to conclude that this uh, idea is 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 is, a, is just 
existing sort of disembodied in a platonic world. But that's not the case here. So the second modality is this individual modality. And in this individual modality, uh, it's, a, it's a qualitative individuality, not simply uh, uh, you know, quantitative. So there are lots of individuals and uh, uh, this, you know, the, you know, knowledge is the first individual. So we can count them one, two, three, but that counting is you cannot rearrange the things in the counting. So like if you had identical chairs, you could count any chair in any order. You could place the last chair as the first chair and it will be still uh, 10 things out there. So that it's not that kind of quantity. Uh, or it's not that kind of individuality. It is an individuality in which there's a qualitative difference between the things that we are counting. There are many names by which these three modalities are, are called, you know, I, 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 note, I noted the name Sat, Chit and Anand, uh, but there are other names. Uh, one of these names is, uh, or these terms is Sambandha, Abhideya and Prayojana, where Prayojana essentially stands for purpose, uh, Sambandha is a uh, relation and Abhideya is the object to which you are related. So the basic idea is that uh, for example, if you are looking at an apple, then the abhideya is the apple. But you're looking at the apple is the relationship between you and the apple. And there is a reason why you're looking, maybe you appreciate that apple, you want to eat the apple, you like the smell of the apple, whatever it is. So the purpose uh, is the prayojana. Your relationship or looking at the apple is the sambandha and the object itself, uh, in this case the apple, uh, is the abhideya. Similarly, you also are an abhideya because somebody else can look at you. So you are uh, uh, also an, an, an individual and uh, with qualities. Right? So when People talk about God sometimes, God is simply described as qualities, uh, not as a person, sometimes as a person, but the qualities are not very clear. And uh, sometimes there is a person with some qualities, but the relationship to other persons is not very clear. And uh, these three uh, problems about, or the, about the understanding of God are addressed. Uh, by describing three ways in which uh, God is defined or understood. So God is knowledge, God is an instance of knowledge, but that instance is God himself. And God is related to other things uh, as you know, parts of that knowledge. So whether we describe God in terms of Sat, Chit and Anand. Uh, Anand indicates basically the personality. Uh, Chit is uh, or the, uh, the individuality and Chit represents the universal uh, 
idea of knowledge and uh, uh, sat represents the relationship between that uh, original knowledge and all the uh, parts of knowledge similarly uh, there is another term called ladni sandhani and samvit uh, ladni means essentially what anand means which is uh, pleasure and sandhani means uh, the relationship uh, to other things and uh, samvit means the object that which is uh, known through that relationship so this basic idea about three modes is described in many ways uh, using different terms they are slightly nuanced descriptions and, uh, and what that essentially means that you know all these ideas about relation to something or uh, the object that's being you know uh, cognized or the purpose for which it is uh, for which uh, you know uh, it is known they keep varying in in, in meaning for example uh, when we talk about a relation it's not simply uh, two objects that or two individuals that are related uh, and they remain unchanged in that relation the relation rather selects an aspect of the personality and uh, that selection modifies uh, what Uh, the two individuals are in relationship for example uh, in in a, in a father son relationship there are two individuals but when they are interacting with each other the father aspect of this person comes out where you know the son aspect of the other person comes out in a different relationship those aspects that are manifesting will differ now as these aspects come out there are certain things that are seen and certain things that are not seen so again the the i mean the samvit changes which means the object is known differently through a relationship and uh, you indulge in a relationship or you interact through a relationship because you might have a different purpose uh, through that relationship it might be a certain kind of affection it might be uh, you know certain business transactions in this world and and so on so different purposes lead to different relationship and they reveal different aspects of that individual so these three uh, and there are numerous other nuances in, you know or ways in which uh, these three uh, words and terms are used uh, we will probably go over them as as and when the need arises but for now let's uh, return back to this question of uh, god is knowledge but that is the samvit uh, uh, aspect of knowledge or the chit aspect of uh, knowledge or the abhideya aspect of the knowledge uh, of 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 god but there are two other aspects and uh, the first aspect is that god is a person uh, that's Uh, and and his personality is uh, his purpose he 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 enjoys certain purposes he has some desires uh, and and that is his personality and due to, in order to fulfill that purpose there's a third aspect which is the relationship so these three aspects uh, define god which means that even though god is knowledge 
but different aspects of that knowledge are manifest through different relationships. So, in a sense, we can say that God is the origin of everything, but then God is also defined through his relationships to uh, other living entities. So, if you want to know God perfectly, you can say that uh, originally God is, is knowledge, but then different aspects of that knowledge or di different divisions of that knowledge are manifest in, in different relationships. And each relationship involves a different kind of purpose. So these three aspects uh, uh, are very, very central to all Vedic philosophy. In, in uh, The Vedic text might emphasize different uh, things in different places, but and sometimes they might even seem to say contradictory things. Uh, but Describing Satchit and Anand as the nature uh, of the Absolute Truth is universal across all Vedic texts. Now some of you might be more familiar with Western philosophy uh, we can introduce the same idea in terms of Western concepts. In Greek philosophy, there were three key ideas uh, that subsequently formed uh, uh, or formed the basis of the rest of these philosophy. And these three ideas were called logos, uh, uh, pathos, and ethos. Logos, pathos, and ethos. And uh, <clears throat> so logos is essentially knowledge uh, or uh, we can say the abhideya, the object to be known. Ethos is the purpose, uh, I'm sorry, pathos is the purpose or the emotional side, the desire side, the feeling side of that uh, 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 person and uh, it represents their personality and you know, individuality. And then there's a ethos side which is ethos essentially indicates how you must behave, how you relate to uh, other individuals. And uh, that is the, that relational aspect uh, constitutes your, uh, in, in, in very philosophy we say dharma, but you can say duty or you know, moral action and things like that. So if you are uncomfortable using the words or it's harder to understand uh, the terms uh, sat, chit and anand, then uh, you can also say ethos, uh, logos, and uh, pathos. And the idea is very similar, uh, or these, these three aspects uh, are very similar, but there may be differences, or there are differences in, in how uh, these things are described. For example, the recognition that uh, your duties and responsibilities are very subject to your relationships, uh, even to the context in which that relationship happens uh, and, and the duty becomes conditional to that uh, context is kind of very, very unique uh, uh, to Vedic philosophy because uh, certain things like knowledge, we, we can speak about knowledge as being universal, but your duty is always contextual and duty also depends on the individual. So finally, you, you combine uh, the, you know, the the universal, the individual, and the contextual, and then you arrive at a behavior, and that behavior constitutes uh, 
the creation of uh, experience. If there is simply the logos as an idea, but there is no individual who wants to know that idea, then idea can exist. But there is no experience and therefore there is no pleasure. For someone to know, there has to be an individual who knows this idea and uh, there has to be a relationship between the knower and the known. So experience essentially constitutes a combination of uh, these three things. And uh, whether you, you say that experience is a combination of these three things or uh, God is, uh, uh, you know, compri or God has these three aspects or the spiritual world is described in terms of, you know, three energies or three descriptions. They're essentially the same uh, uh, as basic uh, constituent ideas which are presented in different ways for different purposes. And uh, uh, so with this, with this uh, understanding, we can, we can say that uh, as an idea, God seems like a slightly impersonal, although with qualities, uh, at least one quality. And, uh, but as an individual, he, you know, we can start calling him he now, instead of saying sim simply the original idea. So the original idea is also an individual. And that idea has relation to many other ideas, which are subdivisions of knowledge. Uh, and, you know, so they can be known and they are knowable. Uh, and that relationship uh, uh, defines uh, what God is. Now, once we understand uh, these three aspects of God, then everything else is described as uh, uh, as an emanation from God and this is uh, this is a very sophisticated idea which is you know very very difficult to, to understand for for most people because uh, people think that God creates the world but that's not the case in uh, in, in Vedic philosophy uh, God doesn't create the world he manifests the world and if, he, if he's manifesting, the question is, where does he manifest it from? And the answer is that God manifests the world from himself. In other words, the world was previously within God. And uh, uh, the world is then manifest uh, uh, by uh, God from himself. Now we can contrast this idea about creation versus manifestation. Uh, in Abrahamic religions, for example, God, uh, at least in, in the modern theological doctrines, and it might have been different at one time, uh, we might not know, but at least in, in the modern doctrines of uh, creation of the world, uh, God creates the world ex nihilo, which means there is nothing that exists prior to that creation. This world might be some amount of matter, some amount of energy. Uh, objects may or may not be distinguished, but at least we can say there is a certain total amount of energy. But 
in the creationist doctrines god creates energy god creates matter but in the vedic philosophical system god doesn't create anything matter is also eternal and matter in fact is uh you know manifested by god himself so in this regard uh the term god somehow you know becomes very confusing and uh, uh, mixed up with the other ideas of god where god sort of creates the world ex nihilo therefore in vedic philosophy the a different term is used and this is and, and the term is called paramam satyam in english we say uh, paramam is is the highest and uh, satyam is the truth so the term paramam satyam essentially means the highest truth and uh, sometimes uh, you know the term absolute truth is also used now the difference between the idea of uh, absolute truth and uh, you know god is 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 simply that when we speak about the highest truth we are acknowledging that there are a lot of smaller or lower level truths when we talk about absolute truth we are accepting that there are a lot of relative truths so for example the things in the world may be true at least they exist so we can say at least they are facts uh, you know truth and fact is a slightly uh, more nuanced distinction we will come to that but in this world when when things exist we can call them relative truths and what relative essentially means is that they are contextually true in a certain situation uh, for example when you are studying uh, you know physical objects you can apply physics if you are studying economic transactions that you might need to apply economic theory you know physics would won't help at that time if you are studying social organizations you might apply sociology if you are studying somebody's uh you know mind then you might apply psychology if you're trying to heal somebody then biology will you know uh, can be applied so every field of knowledge doesn't apply in all the situations and that's the meaning of relative truth they are true but they are contextually applicable in that since they're contextually true now if you're trying to treat uh you know some somebody who has mentally ill and you you start to apply sociological theories to that most of the time you'll struggle with that and uh, you might even come up with erroneous conclusions therefore uh, sri prabhupad writes in the introduction to the shrimad bhagavatam his opening sentence is uh, that the conception of god and the conception of absolute truth are not at the same level The Srimad Bhagavatam hits on the target of the absolute truth. So what he means is that when people speak about God they generally mean somebody who controls the world, who creates the world, who manages the world, who rewards and punishes and and so on. He is said to be uh the person who is omniscient and omnipotent. but that's not what we really mean by uh you know the absolute truth the absolute truth doesn't have it you know the absolute truth can be omniscient 
may not be aware of may not be omniscient may not because uh, consciousness is driven by a purpose when there is a purpose you want to know uh, and uh, based on the purpose you know a different object so the absolute truth conception is different from god because uh, god knows things but the absolute truth may or may not know everything according to his purpose but absolute truth essentially means that the original idea uh, is knowledge and everything that's knowable uh, has been expanded from that knowledge uh, through a relation to that absolute truth and uh, therefore this all these expanded or manifested parts they have become relative truths they are partial truths they are contextually true but they are not absolutely uh, uh, true now this idea of absolute truth can also be contrasted to uh, the notion of universal truth and uh, western philosophy has largely been focused on the, you know when when they speak about truth they say there may be some relative truths but they are really not true because the truth is only that's universally true so for example in logic we would say that uh, a logical truth is true in all possible worlds in all possible situations so for example if you say that laws of physics are true they wouldn't be called a law of physics if it was true in this country in this house in, you know for this person uh, for that gender etc they will only be called laws of physics if they are true they apply in every place every time to every person in every situation that means the relative truth is not at all true and uh, only the absolute uh, only the universal truth is true and because relative truth is not at all true therefore you don't need an absolute truth so you collapse the hierarchy between absolute truth and relative truth and you're simply left with universal truth whereas in vedic philosophy we 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 talk about an absolute truth which is the highest truth and relative truth which is uh you know contextually individually and uh, uh you know in, in true in certain situations but absolute truth is true everywhere uh you know applies to everything and yet it is not universal truth in the sense of being impersonal like a law or a formula or an idea the universal uh, truth is an idea whereas the absolute truth is a person so the first term that is used to describe the absolute truth uh, is uh, is janma jasya yataha uh, janma means birth uh, uh, asya yataha means uh, from whom everything else is born again it's born not created it is manifested not uh, created similarly Uh, another term or another description is applied sarva karana karanam the cause of all causes 
and uh, this is a deeper point in, in, in Vedic philosophy everywhere that uh, the effect is always present within the cause. So when something manifests, it is not an ex nihilo manifestation. It's not as if it did not exist before. It was not visible, but it has manifested uh, from, it was unmanifest, uh, which is sometimes called avyakta. Vyakta is expressed and avyakta is not expressed. It's like you might have thoughts uh, in your mind, but you might not speak them. But when you speak them, you simply say that I was thinking about it and so I spoke it now. So speaking is manifestation or the expression, externalization of uh, uh, your thoughts. But those thoughts existed in you before. Similarly, uh, in Vedanta Sutra and in many places, the, uh, the world is called Abhivyakti or the expression like a speech. Uh, of God, where you know the thoughts were there, but uh, the expression of the thought creates or manifests the world. So it's not an ex nihilo creation, uh, and uh, uh, God is the absolute truth, which means whatever He speaks uh, may be a relative truth in the sense that sometimes it might be applied, sometimes you know it might not be applied. You know some instructions are. Uh, not always applicable, some instructions are applicable. So there might be relative truths even when uh, God speaks. Similarly, the, uh, the creation is uh, produced as, uh, you know, expanded as a speech. And, uh, you know, even though uh, this, this has come out of God, but uh, it is, it's like a thought in his mind that has been expressed outside as speech. So this is the, and, and, and once it has come out, has been spoken, uh, then uh, it has become a relative truth. But remember, this relative truth is also knowable. It is also an expansion of knowledge. Therefore, knowledge or knowability is reflected inside each uh, of these individual relative truths. So there is an absolute truth, there are relative truths and there is absolute truth reflected inside the relative truth. And because this absolute truth is reflected inside the uh, relative truth, therefore the world and our creation and God are not completely separate. And they are not separate in two ways. First, the world is a speech. It is an expansion or expression of thoughts that, that were previously inside God. So uh, we cannot, just like we do not separate the speech from the speaker, uh, therefore we don't say that this world is totally detached from God. Similarly, uh, in ordinary speech, we would still say that you know the words were spoken and uh, uh, now I sort of don't relate to what I said in the past, I have changed my mind or I was in a bad mood when I said these things, so I kind of dissociate myself from that. That type of situation also doesn't exist in this case because God is still reflected uh, in each of the things that he has spoken or he has expressed. So all these knowable things uh, 
because of their knowability they are expansions of god and they were previously in god so this conception of god is is completely different from uh, you know god as a creator or god as a power or uh, you know god as a controller of this world the more sophisticated conception is that god is this absolute truth Uh, and he manifests a number of relative truths which were previously inside the absolute truth and once these absolute these relative truths have been manifest then the absolute truth is imminent uh, in those relative truths so the absolute truth is transcendent it's like an idea um, and the relative truths are parts of that idea or divisions of that idea or instances of that idea and uh, the the absolute truth is also imminent inside them because everything is uh, manifest from the absolute truth and this absolute truth is a person therefore all that is manifest from this absolute truth is also a person and this includes the material world now there are some philosophies in the in the in 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 the indian system which claim that matter is inert or matter is the, the technical term that's used is jada jada is inert and uh, therefore it has to be controlled by consciousness and uh, you know that's how the idea of free will is justified and things like that but matter is not jada uh, matter is also personified uh, and uh, this personification is, is said that she is uh, material energy is described as a person but a feminine person uh, she is called durga shakti and, and by many other names so what it means is that even in this material world the same three aspects which are present in the soul are also present in the material world and what that means is if we have to study the material world we have to study the world in terms of sambandha abhideya prayojana or sat chit anand or hladni sandhini sambit because material energy is also a person and uh, you know the, the same three aspects that are present in in god or the absolute truth are also present in the material energy so for example because god is knowledge and there are many divisions of this knowability uh, for example sense perception like seeing tasting touching smelling hearing therefore the world is described in terms of these atoms of knowability and all these are subdivisions of the abhideya uh, or the chit or the sambit so similarly but all these constitute the universals which means that i have a capacity of seeing and you have a capacity of seeing uh there is a you know color called yellow and you know there are many instances of yellow but the but the yellow can be the same everywhere uh 
similarly uh, there can be smells and you know uh, like uh, sweet smell or a sour smell and things like that and these are universals so the study of these universals is called sankhya philosophy but these universals are not everything because you know there can be many instances of yellow there are many individuals who can see yellow and uh, therefore they have to be an individuality associated with that yellow and that individuality requires a different mode where you have a universal mode called yellow and then you have an instance of yellow uh, or an individual uh, instance of uh, the, the the universal which we call yellow so and once these individuals are created then they are also related to each other and that relationship is called uh, 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 sambandha or you know sat so the material world is also an expansion of god and because god is a person all the attributes of god are also present in matter therefore this impersonalistic understanding of matter uh, which exists in in certain parts of vedic philosophy as well for example uh, in the advaita system sometimes not in all cases because uh, in advaita itself is a very diverse uh, system many interpretations have been done over a period of time but in in many interpretations uh, brahman is the conscious entity and maya is the jada or the inert uh, entity and uh, but in in you know this this understanding is is not accepted in in the personalist schools where the absolute truth is described as uh, not just brahman but also paramatma and bhagavan and bhagavan uh, or the absolute truth is described as the janama adisya yataha from whom everything expands or the sarvakaran karanam the cause of all the causes which means material energy is also or matter is also an expansion out of god now we can talk about the final point in in this episode uh, of the podcast which is uh, what is the relationship between these expansions and the absolute truth and the classic problem here is that in the physical conception of you know things if you uh, take something out of uh, you know uh, an object then that object is reduced Uh, for example when you speak or when i speak after some time i'll feel tired so i am losing some energy by in the process of speaking and if that was also applied to god then it would or the absolute truth it would mean that when god expands into the world and somehow he is reduced and he gets tired and because and uh, because there is nothing else to uh, you know feed him or energy re-energize him therefore he must be permanently depleted 
To address this problem, we have to go back to this conception of Jnanam Advayam again. And uh, we have to understand God in terms of, as an idea. So this, this theme would repeat again and again. And because it's extremely important to not think in terms of God as a physical entity where if you take some energy out of God, then God is God depleted or reduced. And this understanding is that uh, when an idea expands into subsidiary ideas, then the original idea still remains. Whereas in case of physical things, if you remove energy from an object, then that object gets reduced or depleted. Let's take an example uh, of this uh, just to illustrate this point. We can think about the idea of a cow and a mammal. A cow is a part of mammal, but once the cow has emanated or expanded from this idea of mammal, then the idea of mammal is not reduced in terms of meaning. In short, that if, if, you, if you expand uh, mammal into a cow, horse, dog, uh, you know, or other kinds of animals, uh, they are not changing the meaning of mammal. And uh, what that means is that when the world is expanded, the source of all those things doesn't get reduced. So, in Ishopanishad, for example, it is said, Om Purnamadaha Purnamidam Purnata Purnamadachate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vasishyate Which means that the absolute truth is Purna. Purna means complete. And from that Purna, other Purna has, which is this material world, uh, has expanded. But even if you take out the complete from the complete, the balance is still complete. And uh, the only way this is, and this is impossible in the physical conception of the world. If you have a cake and you take out a piece of the cake, then the remaining cake is smaller or lesser than you know the, the original cake. But in this case, you take out the whole cake from the cake and the cake is still there. So this is another form of logical contradiction where we we can say that you can have your cake or eat it too and you know you cannot eat your cake and have it too. But in this case Purnamada Purnamidam Purnata Purnamadachate Purnasya Purnamada so from the whole you take out the whole and the balance is still the whole. But there's a difference between the hole that was originally there and the hole that is taken out. And the difference is this. The original hole is like the mammal and the hole that is expanded out of it is like cows and horses and dogs and sheep and you know things like that. So if you collectively put all the mammals together, you can say it's a set of all mammals. But that set of all mammals is not the idea mammal. 
the idea mammal is the source of the set of mammals similarly the idea cow is the you know source of you know cows but uh, the idea is different from the set what that means is that if you dissolve the set if the set of all the mammals was destroyed the idea mammal is still not destroyed which means if the material world ceased to exist the absolute truth would continue to exist so therefore the material world is sometimes expanded out of the absolute truth but that doesn't reduce the absolute truth then the material world goes back inside the absolute truth and the absolute truth is not increased because of that uh, return so these ideas of depletion and uh, increase they apply to a physical conception uh, of uh, you know uh, removing something and adding something back but they don't apply when we think of uh, you know what is being removed is an idea what it was removed from was an idea when it is put back it was still an idea and uh, when you add these uh, uh, when you when you put back things the uh, the original idea doesn't expand now what that expansion and contraction is essentially meaning it's an idea so the meaning of mammal doesn't change when a new type of mammal is created similarly if that mammal type of mammal is ceases to exist the idea mammal you know is not depleted and or or and it's not you know increased so purnam adah purnam idam this 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 whole description of um, you know removing the whole from the whole leaving a balance of the whole is understandable only when we think of Uh, the whole as an idea if you think in terms of physical things uh, like a cake or a pie or in that case you remove something and uh, it gets depleted so all these ideas are uh, different ways of explaining the same or you know emphasizing the same point namely that the absolute truth is knowledge gyanam advayam and uh, when that knowledge expands uh, let's say for example uh, till 100 or you know couple of centuries ago the subject like anthropology did not exist uh, or you know lots of modern subjects like sociology and economics you know did not exist uh, but they have expanded and even though they have expanded the definition of knowledge has not changed it still includes all these things and if these subjects cease to exist even then uh, knowledge would not change or the or the meaning of knowledge would not change